When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Unscrewed is supported by the National Network of Abortion Funds who want you to know that the National Abortion Access Bullathon is back. Support your local abortion fund, meet awesome people, and have a badass time expanding abortion access. Seriously, I've been to these things. The one near me has karaoke also. It's a great time and it could not be for a better cause. Abortion funds are grassroots powered and more than ever before, if you care about abortion access, it's the year to show up and show our power. Fund your local event at bullathon.nnaf.org. That's bullathon.nnaf.org. I will see you out there. Welcome to Unscrewed, the show that knows that real liberation includes sexual liberation. I am your host, Jacqueline Friedman. Welcome back from my little brief book finishing hiatus. Thanks for being patient with me. I want to especially give a huge shout out and welcome to new listeners that have discovered the show over the last few weeks, either through the tripod hashtag or through my interview with sex nerd Sandra. Welcome. Would love to hear from you what you're interested in hearing about in the future always drop me a line. You can use the unscrewed hashtag on Twitter or email me at unscrewed at JacquelineFriedman.com. Excited to have you on board. So I'm guessing most of you read the headlines a couple of weeks ago about Mike Pence and his strange and also troubling practice of refusing to be alone in a room with a woman long enough to eat a meal. When I heard that, I was like, what? Like, how is that even a thing? And then I realized that, of course, it's of a piece with a number of ways that these sort of far right Christian philosophies around sexuality and women wind up impacting those of us who do not subscribe to them, whether we like it or not. And I thought, we really need to get into that. And I knew the perfect person to talk about it with, Catherine Joyce, who is an author and journalist. Uh, She's the author of two fantastic books. One is called The Child Catchers, Rescue Trafficking and the New Gospel of Adoption. And the other is called Quiverful, Inside the Christian Patriarchy Movement. Um, And I'm so glad that she's here right now. Catherine, thanks for joining me on Unscrewed. Thank you, Jacqueline. It's great to be here. So we're going to talk all about Mike Pence's dining preferences. But as you know, before we get into it, uh, it's tradition to ask you a lightning round of getting to know you questions. You ready? Yes. What has been making you the happiest this week? It was catching up on The Leftovers show, which is going to start again next week. I've never watched The Leftovers. Is it great? I think it's great. If you're like at all into 
unconventional like apocalyptic scenarios, I recommend it. Seems timely. Um, (laughs) (laughs) What's the best sex advice you ever received? Oh my gosh. Um, These questions. I don't, I don't know if this came from any particular source, but I think that probably you should learn how to enjoy yourself and receive pleasure. That is really essential sex advice and not everybody receives it. So wherever you got it from, that is, in fact, excellent advice. What's been making you the maddest or saddest this week? Oh, there's so much to be mad about. This week, there's been like so many kind of cataclysmic things. I've, in the meantime, been working on a story involving sexual assault. And so, I mean, it's kind of been just seeing some of the ways they're received and seeing how ideas that I feel like I encountered when I was, you know, spending more of my time working on the far, far right, like seeing how much closer they seem to the mainstream these days. Uh, I mean, I guess we'll be talking about all about that in the greater conversation. So I'm not going to follow up just now. What's the biggest sex myth you used to believe but don't believe anymore? Biggest sex myth. This sounds so generically feminist, but I think being a woman raised in American patriarchy and imbibing all of the culture, whether I wanted to or not, I guess some typical uh, body image things that you have to be perfect for things to be good or enjoyable um, and that there is such a thing as being that. I feel like that goes away progressively as you get older, if you let it. (laughs) It seems like a project that gets better but is never finished, at least for me. Yeah, no, for sure. Never finished. And last one, who is one of the bravest people that you can think of who's working to unscrew the sexual culture in one way or another? Oh, wow. Um, Some of the the bravest people that I have been impressed by lately are folks I encountered when I was doing some reporting in Texas in January who were organizing against SB6, which was that state's version of the North Carolina bathroom bill. There was uh, just a huge and really ideologically diverse group of people who came together, you know, really across some like different backgrounds and religious and even to a little extent political lines to just say like these, this is not actually what Texas is all about, which I, I think is such an important thing to hear right now. That's fantastic. So As I mentioned in the introduction, when I heard that story about Mike Pence refusing to dine alone with women, I was really sort of taken aback. You know, I I consider myself pretty savvy. And I actually in in my book that's coming out this fall, have a whole chapter of the ways that, you know, the Christian right is, in my view, inappropriately in bed with our government Mm -hmm. um, in terms of religious freedom laws and, you know, abortion regulations and all kinds of things. But here was this thing that had never occurred to me would be a thing, right? Like, and, and I honestly didn't even see the implications right up front. Like, I didn't even think through, oh, that has implications for who he hires and who can get promoted and, right. you know, whether women can actually have positions of power and influence in a government that he has control over. So I'm wondering, first of all, when you heard the Mike Pence story, like, what did you think? Were you like, well, yeah, of course? I felt... Maybe not to the same degree as you did, but I felt like, oh, yeah, that's weird. But then I I thought about it some more, and I, I started remembering some of the stuff that I, I used to encounter when I was reporting. And one anecdote uh, jumped out at me in particular, 
when I was reporting on like a conservative homeschooling conference. And when I was picking up some books and asking some young teenage guys who were manning this one book vendor's table, I started asking some questions of this one guy. I was, you know, in my mid twenties, this kid was probably 17 or 18. There was nothing in like mainstream society that I think any reasonable person would see as charged about that situation. But he went and, you know, said, excuse me. He was very polite, but he said, excuse me. And he went and brought back another young man, another volunteer to stand there while he spoke to me. We were separated by four foot wide table covered with hundreds of pounds of books. And I was just asking him about his organization. And even that was in some way within this world represented a temptation, not, not because I am such hot shit, but because he was obviously as a young person, a single man, and he's talking to a woman by herself who is within 10 years of his age. Yeah. I think that just always stood out to me to be in the middle of like a conference hall in Worcester. This was not even the deep South, um, but to be in the middle of a city in a business environment and feel that you needed to bring a chaperone to have a conversation with someone of the opposite sex. A professional conversation. Yeah. Is the belief just about propriety and appearances or is it really the belief that like you represent a temptation and he can't be expected to control himself? It's about both. You know, a lot of the commentary that I saw about people talking about Mike Pence's lunch rule, um, a lot of people were talking about uh, as the Billy Graham rule, uh, because this is he's not the only person uh, who has this. Uh, no, and in fact, The Atlantic ran a story where they did some follow up journalism and found that there are other Congress people who have similar rules that other staffers on the Hill have encountered this in other offices. That's so interesting. I need to read that. I felt like I saw a lot of men who were like public, either Christian leaders themselves or prominent figures who see themselves as, you know, aligned with that community, talking about how, you know, there's nothing wrong with Mike Pence acknowledging that people are sinful, or this is this is showing respect for his wife to put these boundaries up and ensure that temptation doesn't happen. So I think, you know, there is that side of it. And I think also with anything about the Christian right, there is always a large focus on appearances and optics. I mean, a lot of Christianity obviously is focused on bringing more people into the fold. That's the Great Commission mandate is you go and you make disciples of the world, you make more Christians. And so especially for conservative forms of that, a large role of kind of recruitment has been making your your family life and your life in general look so attractive to outsiders that they will come in. But then the imagined outsider there has to be male, right? Because it doesn't look so good to me. In this case, um, perhaps, but I think it doesn't sound so good to me either in my current life, in the life that I want and that I do lead. But, you know, a lot of times conservative Christianity appeals to people who are hurt and in bad places. And if you are in a setting or, you know, even in an individual relationship where there is infidelity or even more serious things, like when there's domestic abuse and like really conservative expressions of evangelicalism or fundamentalism sometimes are like explicitly told by pastors 
that becoming more involved with the church and the faith is the way out of that. So there's a big emphasis on if you submit to a stringent set of rules, your life is going to get better. Like there's even, there's a a phrase for it, like trust and obey. If you put your trust in God and obey God, then like this is the way to happiness. This is the way to contentment. And a lot of pastors, you know, put that in terms of really specific promises. If you are in a domestically abusive relationship and a wife starts behaving more submissively to her husband, he's going to be quote, one without a word. So you don't even need to try to talk to him about this, let alone, you know, get some outside help. But just, you know, being such a super good, meek wife is going to change your husband's heart and he's not going to beat you anymore. I'm not trying to say that about Mike Pence. So let me be super clear about that. But there is, I think there are some potential hypothetical trade-off benefits that women might see if you are foregoing the opportunity at your own job advancement because your boss and your ministry isn't going to have lunch or coffee alone with you like he's going to do with your male colleague, that sucks. But maybe if under the same system, you're going to have a husband who is not going to be having coffee or lunch with another woman, and potentially it's going to be harder for him to have an affair. I mean, I don't know that that's necessarily going to prevent somebody from cheating. But you can see the appeal of it. No, I get it. But it sort of gets us to the point where the tension is that I want to talk about with you, which is like, that's all well and good if you're opting into that system. But because Mm -hmm. Mike Pence and others who subscribe to this philosophy are in the public service in a variety of ways and, and have become lawmakers and influencers, like it winds up impacting people and in this case certainly directly women who have not opted into this belief system it sort of gets me to sort of the question that i really want to explore with you which is are there other things like this do you think that we don't see like i think a lot of people at least people who are paying attention on a basic level to politics know that the christian right has an outsized influence when it comes to abortion rights and legislation right and that the christian right lately has been pushing these quote-unquote religious freedom laws which are meant to target lgbtq rights largely but i just wonder you know what's the stuff that's not making the headlines sure What I've always been interested in is kind of the migration of ideas from the far right to the center. Um, And I mean, I think everybody's interested in that right now. That's we saw that in the election. That's so much of what we've seen in the aftermath of the election with different groups that have been empowered. And they're now, you know, shouting things that they used to whisper. But I think, you know, aside from neo-Nazis and the alt-right and white supremacists, I see that. In terms of reproductive rights, I mean, when I was really involved in looking at the Kurvafel movement, I encountered laws that were about allowing individual pharmacists to refuse to fill birth control prescriptions. We all kind of remember that from the early and mid-2000s. There was this wave of pharmacists claiming that they were conscientious objectors and that they Therefore, they felt they were participating in abortion because they saw birth control pills as abortion. They felt they were participating in abortion if they filled a prescription and handed a woman her pack of pills. So kind of looking back beyond that, I found this movement where people were talking about how they saw all forms of, you know, mostly artificial contraception, hormonal contraception as 
forms of abortion. And then some of them, you know, went even further that like any effort to control your fertility, even the rhythm method and natural family planning was was something that was inherently not fully pro-life, that it was, you know, embracing this like culture of rebellion against God and that it was a slippery slope to, you know, what they would call the culture of death. So that's obviously all in the realm of personal conviction until it shows up in policy. Like you have these individual, really quite extreme convictions. But then from there, it becomes in individual churches, sometimes uh, a matter of like social pressure and peer pressure. You know, I heard in talking to a lot of these families that the women would feel pressure that like if they didn't have enough children, um, then their peers in church did not consider them, you know, as spiritual. And from there, from kind of that peer pressure level, I mean, I think like you started to see some shifts at either, you know, the, the level of smaller Christian ministries um, that were popping up to kind of cater to this lifestyle and promote it. And then you started seeing stuff from like fairly mammoth evangelical institutions that started talking about how it was, you know, quite a blessing to have many children. And that in turn works its way up to, in the mid-2000s, Albert Moeller, who was then uh, really the intellectual leader of the Southern Baptist Convention, which, if you don't know, is the second biggest denomination of Christians in the U.S., only after Catholics. And he announced to the 16 million members of the SBC that deliberate childlessness was a sin. And then this becomes a talking point in how people talk about demographic issues. And then you also see fairly mainstream politicians. Like I I remember Rick Santorum openly said he was against contraception. Yeah. And Mitt Romney talking about how it was important for college graduates. I think this was at a college commencement. He was the keynote speaker and he said something where he, he used very quiverful like language. That's not necessarily, I mean, that's certainly not how all Mormons practice their faith and build their families. Um, So it did feel like this was like the trickle up almost of hardcore belief that was making it closer to a policy realm. That I'll have to track that down. Uh, Unscrewed listeners, if if you want to check that out, we'll try and have a link to that in our show notes at JacquelineFreeman.com slash unscrewed. Because Mitt Romney is supposed to be our sort of adult in the room, moderate Republican these days. Although, you know, that Overton window has also shifted dramatically. <laughs> I mean, honestly, Mike Pence is supposed to be like the the, the calm, non-radical yeah, adult in the, the room. Yeah, he was the adult on the ticket, right? Right. Yeah. Like, okay, so that's so interesting. And so I know that you did a, a whole book about adoption in Christianity, too. Are there parallels there? Yeah. There was a lot of talk about how, you know, as Christians, we've become known for everything that we're against, um, that we're against abortion, that we're against gay marriage, that we're against divorce, that we're against premarital sex. Um, And some people, you know, within the evangelical community started thinking, you know, what if, what if we instead became known for all the good that we did in in helping children? I mean, they they talked about uh, Christianity and like American evangelicals as a force that would be able to end, you know, the problem of children living outside of families. Um, And so they were exhorting their followers to go out and adopt. And a lot of them followed and and began adopting in huge numbers. And so like a lot of that was well-intentioned, but it also blended in with uh, a number of other issues. I mean, to start 
with, there was the way in which adoption was presented as this sort of seamless one size fits all solution to the problem of abortion. And that was something that then was picked up by right and left as here's this wonderful common ground solution. You know, Democrats don't really have to, uh, you know, put anything on the line and come out with a full-throated support for abortion because we're just going to say we're going to make adoption more available. I think actually those were Obama's words, we're going to make adoption more available. Um, even though, you know, adoption has never not been available. <laughs> well, and not to mention that the rhetoric of sort of adoption versus abortion erases the literal labor of carrying a baby to term. Absolutely. It literally erases the mother in really incredible ways. Yeah. And so I'm, I, we were talking about how this relates closer to home. And I mean, the, there are mind boggling examples of, of how that happens. I mean, crisis pregnancy centers, I mean, that's kind of one concrete way that you can see some of this ideology play out is uh, crisis pregnancy centers that are purporting to offer reproductive services to women who maybe don't know what they're going to do. They draw in women who are confused and upset and usually broke. And frequently, you know, while they're discouraging them from abortion, we all know that, but then a lot of times they are also pushing them in the direction of choosing adoption. And a lot of times they are themselves connected either to adoption agencies, mm. a lot of religiously run or individual adoption attorneys. They're offering them this free help and counsel. And a lot of times it's connected to resources that exert at least subtle and sometimes really not subtle pressure. Do you know, I was just in Indiana in Terre Haute uh, giving a talk and the Crisis Pregnancy Center in Terre Haute, Indiana, literally just says Crisis Pregnancy Center. Like, that's the brand name of it. Like, it doesn't pretend to say, like, Bright Days or, like, some, like, soft focus name. It literally just calls itself a Crisis Pregnancy Center. Your choice, always your choice. Yes, exactly. <laughs> All up no. on the table center. No, exactly. Literally, in just in big letters on the building, it says CPC. I had to stop. I was like, wait, that doesn't mean what I think it means, does it? It's just like, we're a CPC here. I almost admire the honesty in advertising. Like there, There's been such a long history of CPCs, like setting themselves up right next door to Planned Parenthood and like using like almost identical names as you know, the, the clinic that they're situating themselves next to that said, come out and declare yourself a CPC. Like, that's actually refreshing. Well, I mean, I think the downside, the, the dark side of it is that Pence defunded Planned Parenthoods in Indiana, so <laughs> they don't have to worry about the competition. <laughs> the closest one is in Indianapolis over an hour away. So I guess that's what happens when you don't have to worry about the fucking tricking yeah. people into thinking you're Planned Parenthood. <laughs> but the other thing about CPCs that I discovered when I was researching this book I just finished is that they are funded in part with TANF money, with what is essentially supposed to be welfare, you know, like aid to needy families to help them feed themselves, right? Like that... that Tell me about uh, it's astonishing. So when Clinton, Bill Clinton, did quote unquote welfare reform, which is mm -hmm. getting into that is probably beyond the scope of this podcast, but he changed it from a direct benefit where if you qualify, you get money from the federal government, right, mm -hmm. uh, to a block grant to the states. 
Right. And in the language of what the block grant is supposed to be used for, there are four purposes and you have to use the money for at least one of those four purposes. But three of the four purposes mention marriage because of this false sort of correlation as causation idea that pushing people into marriage will lift them out of poverty. You know, right. we, we know that statistically speaking, people who are married are less likely to be poor, but that does not mean that marriage causes you to not be poor. <laughs> as many lawmakers seem to believe that it does or also, or else conveniently yep. pretend to think they believe that, right? right. Whatever purposes, they're, they're pushing marriage as a poverty, anti-poverty program, even though there's now decades of research proving that it doesn't work, right? That marriage promotion has never actually lifted people out of poverty it, it doesn't but it, the language is in there and it allows states instead of literally giving aid to poor families for child care and food and utilities and rent to spend portions or all if they want to of their tenth block grant money from the federal government our tax dollars everybody in the u.s to fund cpcs literally just give it to cpcs and also to fund things like marriage classes about learning to how to have a good heterosexual relationship like all kinds of stuff that really is christian right advocacy stuff is is coming out literally out of welfare dollars like aid to needy families so messed up yeah i i get so upset i i stop being able to talk about it <laughs> a lot can happen in three years like a chat bot maybe your new best friend but what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I don't know if we're on the topic of Mike Pence, like another kind of idea about things that have migrated are, are some of the bills that have come up in Indiana um, yeah. that I think used to be far right fixations that are now, you know, becoming increasingly kind of more common and mainstream. Currently, at Texas is uh, looking at a bill similar to one that Pence signed when he was governor last year. It would allow doctors to lie to women essentially oh, yeah. um, about whether or not there were any prenatal diagnoses of abnormalities or, or disabilities or anything that might, the legislators claim, that might uh, lead the woman to want to make what they consider to be a discriminatory choice to have an abortion. Um, and so that was pretty similar to something that, that Pence was looking at in Indiana last year as though like these yeah. motherfuckers give a shit about kids with disabilities when they're actually born i'm sorry like right. as though there's any funding bills or support or curricula like you know in fact i think it's devos like literally like 
was like yeah. basically thinks like special needs kids should have like bare minimum care don't give a shit right like the idea right. and she's another huge christian fundamentalist trump has been very respectful towards people with disabilities oh yeah he's super respectful towards people with disabilities and women for that matter i yeah. mean if pence <laughs> you know if we're gonna rant for a minute like if pence respects women so goddamn much that he won't have lunch with them alone like how does he not respect women enough to not have run on a ticket with Trump? <laughs> Who has been accused of sexual assault by, like, I think at minimum a dozen women, including his first wife. Um, and we have him, you know, obviously on tape bragging about it, etc. It's the deal that they made, right? They wanted what he's promised to deliver and what he's starting to deliver. And they, they just decided they were going to, they were going to ignore not just, you know, the packaging, but, all of the content as well, I guess, in favor of what he was going to be able to deliver them, them being uh, the Christian right on issues like abortion. So yeah, it's, it's it's pretty fucking cynical. He's the means to the Supreme Court to overturning Roe, as well as you know other longstanding objectives that they have not been able to accomplish by getting behind uh, right-wing politicians and past presidents who suddenly seem more reasonable, you know, in retrospect, they made a deal. And some of them took the time and effort to cast it in theological terms. I'm, I'm blanking on the name of the biblical character that was referenced, but there was one argument that, you know, in the Bible, God used somebody who was not a holy man to still work his purposes, you know, in, in different communities, this is a huge, wide, diverse group of beliefs and people that we're talking about when we talk about evangelicals and fundamentalists, it's, it's not one block. So people have been all over the map at, a, in terms of whether or not they do support them or not. And, you know, there are a lot of evangelicals who firmly said no, but you know, the majority still said yes. There was this real politic approach that he was going to deliver and it didn't matter uh, whether or not he believed. So like, what do we do I, mean, I don't know how much you want to engage with that question because I know you're a journalist and maybe you want to stay away from prescriptiveness, but... I can answer that from my perspective, from the perspective of somebody who's been a reporter who covers these issues. I, I think I would argue that, that people need to pay attention to kind of like a full spectrum of ideas and, and where they come from so that we're better prepared for things that caught a lot of people by surprise. I mean... There were people who have, you know, been watching the sort of swamps that the alt-right cr crawled out of um, in the past year for, for many years before that. Not me. I mean, I have. I've been watching the men's rights movement for a long time now and honestly thought that it had burned itself out. And now it's like back and weaponized in a whole new way. So, yeah. Yeah, they got a, they got a boost when they kind of married some of these other groups, right? Yep. So that's something that you were doing is like, you know, pay attention to some of these ideas. There's, I think sometimes I hate to be one of those journalists who talked about the media as though I am not part of the media, but I do think that there is a tendency kind of in some of the more mainstream forms of media to dismiss ideas that seem like they're extremist or on the fringes as unimportant and unlikely to influence anything. And I, I just feel like my experience always is watching things start from a small place and end up influencing larger conversations. I would wager you saw some of that in, you know, your look at men's rights communities for so long. Oh, absolutely. The, the idea that basically the men's rights are, 
represented in the White House now is it's like a waking nightmare. <laughs> Basically what it is like. <laughs> the only thing, so I, I like that. I think that's really good advice, which is like pay attention to this stuff when it happens either on the local level or on some fringe corner of the internet, whatever sort of small ways that it starts to creep up that if we can combat it and take it seriously then you know for years people have been saying about for example men's rightsers if we're going to talk about them you know like we'll just ignore them and they'll go away and don't be on twitter if you're getting harassed on twitter you know those sorts of things why you know why is it such a big deal you're giving them energy and look where we are yeah and i mean like different i guess approaches apply for for different situations i mean i i think that journalists and researchers and other types of professions have an obligation to recognize that the ideas are important because it's all this stuff to me seems like a long game, you know? Yeah, it is a really long game. And the other long game that I would really want folks to pay attention to is about voter suppression and gerrymandering. A lot of this on the state and federal level has happened because of you know i'm gonna get partisan here you don't have to participate but like that that republicans specifically have given themselves and their own party more weight more electoral weight than they are due by fucking with the rules like in terms of voter id in terms of early voting but also in terms of gerrymandering congressional districts you know it's easy to be like well if we don't like this then we should vote them out of office but that is very difficult. I mean, we we know the uncomfortable fact, you know, Hillary Clinton got three million more votes than than Trump did. And she is not president. And that's just one example. So we need, I think, to have a really long, hard look at our electoral system from the most local to the national. And I'd like to see there be a movement for mass electoral reform to make the system more fair. You know, the governments that we have right now don't actually represent the will of the people. That's troubling. Yep. And we should be fucking pissed off about it. It's not inevitable. No, no, that's really super important. Well, Catherine, thank you for coming and talking to me about all this stuff. Oh, this was fun. Thank you so much, Jacqueline. Where can people follow your work? Oh, I'm a freelancer, so I am kind of all over the place. I've been writing uh, lately for Pacific Standard and The New Republic and Highline. I'm, I'm bad on Twitter, but I am on Twitter. And I have a website. <laughs> Would you want to give out your Twitter and your website? I think my Twitter is Catherine A. Joyce. And I think my website is CatherineJoyce.com. Excellent. Excellent. I always want folks to be able to find you. Uh, and people can find me on Twitter and Facebook at Jacqueline F. That's J-A-C-L-Y-N-F as in Friedman. Uh, and on Instagram at Jacqueline Fable. Although my Instagram is mostly like food and places I travel and very little politics. Uh, Jacqueline Fable? Jacqueline Fable. Jacqueline F wasn't available by the time I got to Instagram. I was kind of a late adopter. And literally, you know how sometimes like they'll suggest an alternate if your username is taken? It was one of the ones that they suggested. And I was like, Jacqueline Effable, that's pretty great. That's pretty great. Um, so that's me on Insta uh, if you want a different side of me. Uh, and also my website is JacquelineFriedman.com. Friedman is F-R-I-E-D-M-A-N. Uh, you can check out all my writing and speaking and past shows and the unscrewed archive and all of that stuff there you can find this podcast wherever fine podcasts are available itunes acast stitcher while you're in itunes 
give us five stars. Give us a two sentence review. It really helps other people find the show. And it makes my heart so happy. You can also, as folks have been doing, use Twitter to tell folks you like the show. Just share it or on your social media. The show is produced and edited by yours truly. Our in and out music is by The Pink Tiles. And our cover art is by Nicole Dodonna and was designed in collaboration with the establishment who also designed the sound cues. Until next week, I'm wishing you safe and happy sex lives. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, it's Paige Desorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.